and we welcome you to this edition of Tuesday People, the podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Album, author of the book Tuesdays with Maury, upon which this podcast is inspired, and author of a new book that literally is coming out on Tuesday, today, called The Little Liar. And I am actually in New York City doing this podcast today because I'm in the middle of the publicity tour for it. Lisa Goyd's back in California, where she generally is, but we can see each other through the magic of our computer screens. And Lisa, nice to see you, even though it's we're coast to coast today. Yes, happy launch day. I know. See that people can't see, but I see you're in a different room, right? You look like oh, you're yeah. in, in an interrogation room. It's yeah, it feels what? like an interrogation room, <laughs> uh, but hopefully nobody will nobody will come in and interrogate me. <laughs> white walls and bright lights. Yeah, uh, and it's so happy launch day and happy anniversary. We have two big things to celebrate today. Our anniversary of our podcast, which is now how old? Four years. Four years old. Wow. Can you even believe that? Honestly, I thought when we started this that I would do about 26 weeks. That was in my mind. I was like, well, let's see. There were like uh, 14 Tuesdays that we covered in the book, Tuesdays with Maury. And, you know, probably talk about each one, maybe one episode, two episodes, and a half a year, 26 weeks. And that'll be it. And now we're at four years. And yeah. the topics, uh, yeah, you never... You never seem to run out of topics. So No, they keep going. See, the people, yeah. they love it. The people love it, Mitch. And I do meet a lot of people on this. Uh, I've already been out on this book tour since uh, Sunday uh, and done several public appearances. And there are a number of people who come up and say, listen to your podcast, listen to your podcast. So thank you for listening to our podcast. And uh, today I'm actually going to introduce this new book, which... The truth is, and I've been asked a lot of questions now, but I'm doing a lot of interviews, and they say, well, where do you get your inspiration for your books? And I always say, the fact is that ever since Tuesdays with Maury, pretty much every one of my books has a straight line back to my conversations with Maury. You know, one thing or oh, another. interesting. Yeah. For example, The Five People You Meet in Heaven, even though it was a novel, uh, it was about people not feeling that they matter. And that was something that Maury and I talked about all the time. How do you get meaning in your life? And in The Five People You Meet in Heaven, Eddie, who just works as an amusement park worker uh, his whole life, doesn't think he has any meaning in his life. And he doesn't realize how many people he's touched along the way, his family, the children that he's helped keep safe, et cetera. And that was directly to Maury. Uh, for One More Day, the book that came next, which was about a, 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 a guy who sort of magically gets one extra day with his mother who had passed away years before when he goes back to his small town where he grew up and he goes into the house and she's there as if, you know, she never left. Mm -hmm. And that was based on a conversation that Maury and I had about if, if you knew you could have one day healthy again, you know, what would you do in that day? How would you spend it? And yeah. we talked about it. A lot of those lessons ended up in for one more day and, you know, Finding Chica uh, about what it takes to make a family was uh, had a lot of the lessons that I learned from Maury about the value of family and there is yeah. no security other than family. And I it mean, it so goes important on to on. him. Yeah. yeah, it goes on and on. So I never even put that together till you just said that now. Yeah. Well, so this new book, The Little Liar, is 
got a, a lot of direct uh, connections to Maury, particularly in the area of forgiveness. And I'll explain why in a moment. So, so the story, if you haven't heard about The Little Liar, uh, it's set during World War II and during the Holocaust. It's not a Holocaust book per se. You know, there are, there are some fantastic books that have been written, novels set in the Holocaust, but they generally sort of start when people are being sent into concentration camps and they end when the concentration camps are liberated. Uh, this isn't that. This includes the period of time when a lot of the protagonists in the book are, are sent to a camp, but it also follows many years after. It goes 40 years beyond. And the story is basically uh, takes place in Greece, which a lot of people don't even realize that the Nazis invaded Greece, but they did. And they, in fact, wiped out percentage wise. The largest Jewish population lost during the Holocaust was Greece. Wow. Yeah. Greece lost nearly 90 percent of its Jews killed Whoa. by the Nazis. You and don't even hear that. Yeah, How is this, Yeah, yeah well, I didn't know yeah. that. This particular city where I set the book, uh, Thessalonica, lost 95% of its Jewish population. 95% murdered by the Nazis. So in this this book, there's a little boy named Nico. He's the hero of the book. And he has never told a lie in his life. And his neighborhood, they kind of tease him and they call him Snow, Chioni, Snow. It was Greek for snow because he's so pure. Uh And when the Nazis invade, they find out about him and they basically kidnap him away from his family. And they say, you can go back to your family and see them again, but you just have to do one favor for us. First, we need you to stand on a train platform and tell the passengers who are getting on that they're going to new homes and new jobs and everything's going to be good. And they'll believe you because they trust you. So he does this thinking that he's telling the truth. And oh, he wow. does this for day after day after day until the final mm-hmm. day, the last train is being sent out and he sees his family being shoved inside a boxcar and he hears someone yell, they're sending us to die. And that's when he discovers that these trains are actually going to the concentration camps and that the first lie of his life was actually, you know, the, the worst thing that he could possibly have lied about. Wow. And from that point forward, it follows him as he sort of loses the ability to speak the truth ever again, like it won't come out of his mouth because he's so traumatized by what they did to him, even though it wasn't his fault, that he becomes a liar and he gets really good at it and he becomes basically pathological. And as the years pass, he tries desperately to find his family to no avail. And he ends up in America. He changes his name he, he, he changes his whole identity and he ends up out in California in the movie business in the early 50s and 60s, where he becomes incredibly rich as this like Howard Hughes sort of figure that never he finances all the movies, but he never goes to see them. He never sees any of them. He just pays for them in advance and nobody meets him. He has no friends and he lives this very reclusive life trying to be forgiven for what he did, even though, again, it wasn't his fault. And meanwhile, you find out about his family members. I don't want to give away too much of the book, but, you know, one of his family members survives and blames him. His brother blames him for what he did and wants Mm. to find him to bring him to justice. And meanwhile, a little girl who had a crush on him back when they were, you know, kids before the war, she doesn't blame him. She believes that he was duped and she spends her whole life trying to find him 
so she can tell him he's forgiven. And it, in the end, it's a very beautiful love story about you know forgiveness and and hope and all the rest of it. Um, I'm going to read you a couple little parts of it here because you're my friends and my audience, and you obviously have read at least one of my books. You probably wouldn't be on this podcast, and so I like to share sometimes. I don't do this very often, but I'm going to read a couple pages from it. This is nice. It's told by the voice of truth, and this is how it begins. You can trust the story you're about to hear. You can trust it because I am telling it to you, and I am the only thing in this world you can trust. Some would say you can trust nature, but I disagree. Nature is fickle. Species thrive and flame out. Others suggest you can trust faith. Which faith, I ask? As for humans, well, humans can be trusted only to watch out for themselves. When threatened, they will destroy anything to survive, especially me. But I am the shadow you cannot outrun, the mirror that holds your final reflection. You may duck my gaze for all your days on earth, but let me assure you, I get the last look. I am truth. And this is a story about a boy who tried to break me. So that's how the book begins. Wow. And it's actually told by the voice of truth, uh, which was really interesting because, again, truth was such a victim during that time. Yes. And Maury and I talked a lot about how people, you know, you've heard me say, we did a whole show on, if you don't like the culture, don't buy it. You know, if you don't believe what they're selling, you don't buy it. Well, that's true about a lot of things, including lies that are told to you by your government, you know, or by people in charge or by people who just have bad intentions. So during World War II and during that whole Nazi era, What I discovered in my research was pretty clear. The Nazis didn't thrive because they had bigger guns. They thrived because they had bigger lies. And they were able to talk their people into believing them. Mm -hmm. And they were able to say to their own people in Germany, if we just get rid of the Jews, our country will be better off. They're the ones who are holding us back. And people believed that. And they said, well, we're not going to kill them. We're just going to send them to these work camps. And they believed that. They even at one point, and I mentioned this in the book, they had a concentration camp that when the Red Cross wanted to inspect it, because they had heard terrible things were happening at these concentration camps, they actually went in, planted all kinds of flowers and trees cleaned up the prisoners, put, put them in suits and, and did, their, did the women's hair and brought in an orchestra and a, a stage and then invited the Red Cross and said, look how lovely it is and uh, look how beautiful it is. It's just a, just a work camp. And look, everybody's so happy here. And of course, they told the Jews, if you say anything, we'll kill you. And the Red Cross came in and sat for a concert with these prisoners who had actually been cleaned up and nobody said a word, and they, and they and they took them as their word, and they came back and they said, "Oh, everything's fine. These aren't there's nothing the matter with these camps. They're just work camps." That's wow. literally the extent of the lies that went on. Literally the extent of the lies that went on during that time. And meanwhile, they were slaughtering and murdering people left and right, burning their bodies, shooting them, killing them, raping them. 
all the horrific things that you've heard about Man. that went on during those concentration camps. And, and, and yet they lied about it. I mean, they lied to the people who got on those trains. Not yeah. only did they have little Nico lie, but they actually said to them, okay, you're going to Poland. So give us all your money now because the Greek money won't be good in Poland. Give us your money. We'll give you a receipt. And you take this receipt to an office when you get into Poland and you'll get all your money in Polish money. And people did it. Whoa. They literally turned over all their money, the last dimes and dollars that they had or drachmas that they had because they believed it. That's how bad the lies were to the extent to which they lied to them. So so Hitler and, and the Nazis were able to rise because of lies. And when you look at our world today and you realize how many people are telling different stories yes. about the same thing, right? Yeah, that's exactly what I was just going to say. This is no different than what's going on today. Yep. People are, are framing the truth. They watch their own networks or they listen to their own podcasts or whatever, and they don't want to hear anything else. And they say, well, no, this is the way it is. Well, there can't be 16 different versions of the truth. There's only one truth. And if you don't take the effort to try to really find out what it is, and you just listen to what pleases you, or you do as, as Simon and Garfunkel once sang, a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards, disregards the rest. The rest yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, if that's what you're going to do, we're in a very dangerous time right now. And there's a lot of lies going on and, and, and people, I mean, we're even in a time where you can't even necessarily believe what you see. I mean, did you hear that story last week about those high school girls in New Jersey who came into school one day and were shocked to find out that there were images on the internet of them having pornographic sex. And what had happened was a, a, a classmate had used AI to take their faces and put them on the actual footage of, of pornography. Whoa. And they had, to, they had to explain to their friends and their parents that it wasn't them. Imagine oh trying to gosh. have that conversation. It was so good that it actually looked like them. I didn't even hear that story. That is one of the things that is going to be a problem with AI. And not like that's taking it down into the very down home level. But you get a world leader on AI sending out a message to their followers. You get, you know, any any person in power on AI saying something that they didn't really say that could end mm -hmm. our world. You know, right. Right. It's really frightening. But but you're right. It's too bad we don't. I'm, I'm thinking about your voice of truth, which, by the way, I think is a brilliant way to narrate a book. Thank <laughs> um, you. Good. That was a really good one, Mitch. But I I wish we had the voice of truth. Like I wish every night when we turned on the news, it was like the voice of truth that speaks right. to us. You right. know, <laughs> and you Wouldn't know. Wouldn't that be great? OK. Like, and now like, the real news. Yeah. Yes. That it's just like the truth channel. And it's not. Um, you know, it's, it's like Walter Cronkite or, something, yeah. you know, yeah. when, when news was true. We'll be back with more Tuesday people right after this. Well, the, the idea of um, lies and the idea of the atrocities that were, were, were committed with these lies is one of the themes in The Little Liar. But another one is forgiveness. And 
Nico spends his whole life trying to be forgiven for what he did. He hides, you know, and he changes his name and he lies, whatever, because he can't face up to what he did. But in his heart, he knows, believes that he was somehow responsible for the deaths of all those people, even though clearly he wasn't. And he spends his life, I don't want to give it away how he does it, but he spends his life trying to you know, be forgiven. And this is a this is a theme that goes back to Maury very much because he and I talked about forgiveness and we've talked about it on the show many times, particularly the story that he told me about his friend Norman, who who he had you know been mm. very close with and then lost touch yeah. with, you remember? And then he found out that Norman had died of cancer and he just cried so much when he talked to me about him. He said, yeah. I never had the chance to make it up to him. Why did I let that stupid argument separate us for all those years? It means nothing to me now. Yep. Forgive everyone everything, he said to me. Mitch, forgive everyone everything and then forgive yourself. And I said to him, what do you mean forgive yourself? He said, for all the times you beat yourself up, I should have done this. I never should have done that. Why did I do that? Why was I so stupid? Why was I so lazy? Why was I so fat? Why didn't mom like me? What All the things that we beat ourselves up for, we need to forgive ourselves because he said, when you get to where I am and you will get to where I am, you're going to wish that you had been nicer to yourself. Ah, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's something that runs through this theme because poor Nico, even as he gets older, he can't forgive himself. And meanwhile, Fanny, the girl, is is desperately trying to find him um, to say to him, you know, we don't blame you. You know, it's not your fault. And it takes the whole book and all kinds of twists and turns to figure out, you know, where he is and how to get a hold of him. Um, but, uh, you know, it wow. has a hopeful sort of finish, but forgiveness is so important. Forgiveness is so important and, it and sure it's is. a critical part of, uh, you know, and there are many people who went through that Holocaust and, and somehow blame themselves or they didn't get out fast enough. They should have seen the signs coming, you know, their family ended up dying and if only they had done this or they had done that. And you can't second guess history like that. No. Well, and you can't blame yourself because that was so unknown. Nobody knew anything then, right? I mean, because you're right. They were led by lies into their deaths. And if you did survive, I, I imagine that there was an extreme guilt uh, involved in that for the survivors. That's and right. then they have to live their whole lives with that. So right. it's really so sad. It was just such a sad part of history, which sadly is being repeated today. Right. Right. So, um you know, well, your book is very timely in many ways. For sure, for sure. For the news and, uh, that's happening now. Well, I'll tell you how timely, you know, it was rather shocking to me. Uh, I thought, okay, when I came up with the idea for this book, I've never read anything like this before about someone who was used to lie. I know that the Nazis actually did use uh, Jewish people to lie to other Jewish people because they knew, knew it would be effective. At yeah. different stages along the way, not just on the trains, but, you know, in the cities and in the ghettos where they had them. But I'd never seen anything with a kid, you know, a child. And I thought, OK, this will be unique. This will be new. Uh, you know, I'll create a story, you know, about what it does to a child. And, of course, my affection for children and, and you know, the kids in Haiti and what they endure. I see the trauma that they go through. And I, I knew how to sort of capture some of that. But I'm thinking in my head, you know, this is a very original, literary, fictional idea. And then a few days ago, I, when I was in New York, I, I ran into Anderson Cooper, who's a friend of mine from CNN. Who I had love just gotten, him. Yeah, just gotten back from uh, three weeks in Israel reporting. And 
he, I told him the plot of the book and he said, did you hear about this kid Tomer? And I said, no. He said, well, this Israeli kid Tomer, that was his first name, was living on one of the villages right on the Gaza border. And when those terrorists came over the border, they captured him and they forced him to go around his village, threatening that they would kill his family if he didn't do it. And they forced him to go around the village and knock on every door and say to the people inside, it's okay to come out. It's safe. They're gone. You know, uh, and when they came out, they shot. Uh, uh, and they did this to this boy. And whoa, then when Mitch. they were, and then when they were done using him, they took him out and they killed him. Ah! Uh, so they created a little liar and then shot him and killed him. Wow. So I ended up saying to myself, wow, you think in your mind you've created, you know, something that, you know, could only happen that in, couldn't possibly, in a book. Yeah, that couldn't possibly really happen in real yeah, be life. be real. Right? And here it just happened. Oh, you know, so when people pervert deep. the truth, when people pervert the truth and when people use lies to do evil, um, anything is possible. Uh, mm. Now, I don't want to end on that, though, because, first of all, I don't want people to think that this book is, is a downer. It's not. And it does have a, an inspiration and an inspirational ending. But throughout the book and throughout all the things that happen to these various people, there is hope. Mm. And hope is such a, uh, a critical part of how we live. And I created a scene, which was one of my favorite scenes actually in the book, where inside the concentration camp, as bad as the day is, every night, Nico's grandfather and the rest of the family, they gather everybody together around the barracks and they put somebody out in the front door who's coughing so they can't be overheard because the person's you know, always coughing to try to make sure the guards can't hear them. Yeah. And huddled around the barracks, the filthy barracks that they were in, the grandfather insists that everybody say one good thing that happened to them today. And you can imagine in a concentration camp, how many good things could there be? But they would say things like, well, I got an extra spoonful of soup today or mm. my rotted tooth that was hurting me so much fell out of my mouth or the guard that always beats me wasn't on today. So I didn't get a beating or I saw a bird in the sky, you know, and I, I felt something. And I did this because after my research, I, I found that those people who still retained hope, despite despite all the signs that everything was hopeless. They're the ones who survived. And in Viktor Frankl's book, which was brilliant, of course, about, you know, uh, uh, the, how the concentration camp survivors, man's search for meaning. He said that the one constant of the people who survived those those terrible camps were people who believed that there was a future and were hopeful for the future. The mm. people who gave up and said it's, it's just awful. It's always going to be like this. They were the ones who didn't make it. And so that idea of hope is 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 essential in our lives. And I, I try to permeate the book with it that, you know, Fanny hopes that she can, I'm going to find him one day and I'm going to tell him and I'm going to forgive him, you know, and Nico is hoping that somehow he'll be able to make up for it. Those desires, those, those hopes are so important when it comes to what drives you in life and you cannot give up hope. You cannot give up hope. No matter what happens, you have to always hold on to it. And 
you know, I, I think in the end, when you read The Little Liar, you'll see that hope hope does win. You know, it doesn't mean you don't go through things. But it, it will win in the end if you hang on to it. So, you know, but it's a challenge. And I'm sure it's a challenge for people. So if people have, who are out there who are facing hopeless situations, um, this book obviously could be of some help there. If there are people out there who, who ask themselves, you know, what's the worst lie that you've ever told? What's the worst thing that you've ever done? And what would you do to be forgiven of that lie? What would you do to be forgiven? Um, that's a theme of this book as well. And so uh, anyone who's sort of endured those kind of things, hopefully they'll grab a copy and it'll it'll speak to them. But I'm very proud of this book. And I don't say that, you know, I'm willy nilly. I don't usually use that expression because usually by the time a book comes out, I'm so like, Oh, I should have written this page. I should have done this. I should have. Every page I open, I I try to edit and improve. Oh, jeez. You know, if only I had six more months, I could have made it so much better. But, um, and I did that with this book too, from the writing point of view. But I'm proud of the story. And I think it's an important story. And I hope everybody will pick it up and be inspired by it. Because especially with what's going on in the world today, we we need to hear about the precious value of truth. Truth and hope, both of those things. Truth and hope. Yeah, really Indeed. good, Mitch. I can't wait to read it myself. I have not read it yet, so I will, I'm will. i going to buy a copy I tomorrow. Think we can, I think we can provide you a copy. No, no, it's okay. Although I do have every single one of your books you've signed a copy to me. So there is well, that, but I also buy them on Kindle. So I am supporting the Mitch album. Well, I'll tell you what. You know what? Fund. You just gave me an idea. <laughs> um, if people want to write us and say, I would like to get a personalized copy of the book. I'll pull aside five copies. Oh. And you, you figure out, Lisa, how to do it, random drawing or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll give everybody till next Tuesday to get it in from one Tuesday to another. And, um, and then we'll pick five and we'll personalize the books uh, to you and send them out as if you want them as a present or to give them to somebody else. Just to thank everybody who has, uh, you know, listened to our podcast and read my books over over the years. That's great. Maybe I'll do like a trivia thing on our group page. I'll try to think of a good something we've covered in a previous episode. That oh, you're going to make it a test, okay? Oh yeah, I'm going to make it a little test. Okay, all right. Well, you do what you want, but I'll I'll figure it out. We'll figure it out, and uh, we'll get them to somebody to five winners anyhow. So again, the book comes out today. The Little Liar. You can get it everywhere, and. I might be coming to a town near you because we have quite an extensive tour. So if you live in Cleveland, St. Louis, Miami, Rochester, New York, uh, let's see, where else am I going? Uh, Sarasota. um, Where else? Malibu, California, well, Orange County, Malibu. California, I'll come Orange to County, uh, Santa Clara, Council Bluffs, uh, Council Bluffs <laughs> Iowa, uh, many places in Michigan, Toledo, including Ohio. Traverse City, um, Toledo, Ohio. Toledo, Ohio. <laughs> I'm getting <laughs> some prompting here. Rosie's Is that Rosie me. in the background? Yeah, oh, yeah, Rosie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, anyhow, uh, you can just go to MitchAlbum.com and it has the whole tour date schedule there. And hopefully we get a chance to meet you. And if you if you do come up and say I listen to the podcast, so that way we know how how we made friends with you. Yes, we want to know who our Tuesday people are. You know yeah, that way so you I'm can put Tuesday faces. Person. Wear a T-shirt that says yes. I'm a Tuesday person. <laughs> oh, we have to get All those right. made one day, Mitch. Now that we're going into year five. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. 
<laughs> well, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for uh, welcoming a new book into the world. And we'll get a chance to talk to you soon. WeTuesdayPeople.com on the web. Lisa Goitsch produces this program. We thank her very much. And until we get a chance to talk again, I'm Mitch Album saying, see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at WeTuesdayPeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday People.